Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. This week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy shows us three marks of a true Christian. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd like you to turn with me please to the Book of Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I want to begin my reading from verse number 14, but then we're going to come to our text in verse number 17, Uh, but I just want to um, read what comes before, a little bit what comes after. Verse 14 reads, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness? Then verse 17. But God be thanked, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your presence this morning. You've promised that we're two or three are gathered in your name, that you are there in the midst. So by faith, we acknowledge that you are with us. You've also said, Lo, I'm with you wherever you go. And we thank thee, Lord, for your presence. But we need more than just your presence. We need your power. And therefore, we ask you this morning to take your word and use your word and empower your word so that it has the effect that you have designed for it to accomplish this morning. We thank you for all of those who are here this morning, and we ask that their lives would somehow be enriched, that their minds would be challenged, and we pray, Lord, that they would uh, be able to really establish some kind of certainty in regards to their standing with you. We pray for anyone who might be here this morning who is visiting, uh, who perhaps is becoming so confused because of the times in which we live and who is hoping that somehow they would get something substantial to depend on, that they would find some rock on which they can stand amidst all the turmoil around themselves and that they would come into contact with truth that stabilizes their life and give them a measure of balance and equilibrium. We ask for uh, all of us this morning that we would take your word uh, seriously, that we would all examine our lives in the context of your word, and we pray that it would be all of our desire that the kingdom of God be extended to ourselves and through the use of the preaching of your word. We do not know what you will accomplish this morning 
We know what we desire in our hearts. But as our Lord himself pointed out, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou canst not tell where it go or where it comes from. Even so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So we don't know how your spirit is going to work. He's sovereign. He is infinite. He knows all. Uh, he is aware of the needs of each believer. He's aware of the needs of each human being. And he moves in most mysterious ways that we can never fully comprehend. And what we can say is that while we can't see with our physical eyes what he does, we can see it in the lives of those who have been touched and transformed by his power. So the evidence of his presence is also the evidence of lives that are changed and transformed by his power. This is the greatest proof of who we are and to whom we belong. I pray this morning that in some measure, as we go through this verse, we will understand that this is exactly the emphasis that Paul lays down by using this very simple verse. It really explains to us in very succinct language what is in essence a true Christian. What are the manifestations of the fact that he is a true Christian? And this simple verse brings us out with such clarity and simplicity that we just marvel at Paul's ability to put, put forth your truth in a way that it can so easily be comprehended. But what profound truth he also teaches in this verse. And I pray that in some measure this morning we will grasp it and we will appreciate uh, the power of the word and also the wisdom of the Apostle Paul in giving us these words. We ask you now to bless the service. I ask for your help and your assistance. I pray for your guidance. I pray for liberty and freedom of speech. But above all, I pray that what I say would be confirmed in the hearts of those who listen. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would have his way in this service and demonstrate his power through the power of his word in changing and transforming lives. Do what you have designed this morning to do. And we will sit back and just in awe and wonder, glory in your power and in your presence. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In my last message from Romans, uh, we looked at Romans chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. And we saw that the Apostle Paul discussed the sobering subject of the believer, of the person, spiritual and moral bondage. That's what Paul does in verses 15 and 16. In other words, in verse 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul deals with a word that is very emotive today, and that's the word of slavery. And Paul is talking about we're either a slave to God or we're a slave to sin. The Apostle Paul deals with that fairly extensively in verses 15 and 16. You know, I, I probably should say a word on this subject before we get into verse number 17. But one of the biggest issues today, of course, is this whole matter of slavery and the wrongness and the evil of slavery. I think that the only reason that people are discussing this subject is for only one reason, and that is 
because the core principles of Christianity has so pervaded society, we can now talk about the wrongness and the evil of slavery. Under no other condition would slavery be discussed like this. In other words, if we were in, we believe in an evolutionary world, you could not discuss the rightness or wrongness of slavery. Because evolution basically says that it's the survival of the fittest. For those who therefore believe in evolution, you can't argue against slavery because whatever has happened has happened because the fittest has survived. It is only when you have the principles of Christianity that permeate society. And what this 21st century is living on is the residual effect of the pervasiveness of Christianity. So therefore, they can talk about the evil and the wrongness of Christianity. And you know why they can do that? Because when you come to scripture, you find that there are certain principles that make slavery evil and wrong. For example, all men are created in the image of God. So if all men are created in the image of God, all men ought to be treated as though they have dignity and value. All men come from one common pair of parents. Some didn't come from a raccoon and a monkey and then some other kind of a sapient being. We all come from one source. So if we all come from one source, it simply means if Adam and Eve were our ancestors equally, so what's the problem then? Not only that, uh, the Bible emphasizes the infinite worth of the human soul. It is the basis of these principles that have been taken out of Christianity that people are now using to argue against slavery. And I think that people don't understand. And by the way, the same Christianity that gave them these principles is the same Christianity they're trying to destroy. So I think that uh, we as Christians need to understand that the, the biblical doctrine of slavery creates the opportunity for us to really discuss these matters in the biblical context. And this is what Paul does uh, in this portion of Scripture. Uh, I would like to say that secondly, the Apostle Paul in this passage of Scripture in verse 17 is now moving on to a different subject. The Apostle Paul emphasizes that if a person is saved, he's no longer a slave to sin. He become a slave to God. Something has happened that he's transferred and he's become, got a new master. The question, therefore, that he does, and now what he does in verse number 17 is apply what he taught in verse 15 and 16. In other words, if it is true that the person that you, is your master who you obey, whether it be obedience to sin or obedience to God, the proof of who is your master is who you obey. You are the slave of the person that you obey. So if you live a life where you're obedient towards sin, make no question about it, sin is your master. If you live a life where you're concerned about obedience to God, God is your master. There are only two options. There's nothing in between. This is what Paul argues in verse 15 and verse 16. Now having said that, the apostle now decides that he is going to apply those principles to the Ephesian, uh, the, to the, uh, the Roman believers, and he now begins to talk about them and how their lives are marked by these same qualities. Look at verse 17 and see what he says in this passage. He just told them about slavery. He just told them there are two options. 
And then he says these words, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So what he's doing now, he's applying what he just said in verse 15 to 16 to these believers. And he's saying, what I just taught you in verse 15 and 16 is now true of you. I'm thanking God that you who were once the slaves of sin have now become the slaves of God through your obedience to the doctrine that was delivered to you. Something has happened and something has changed in these believers' life. Now what I want to do this morning is to take this passage and to show you very clearly from what Paul is saying, what are the marks of a true Christian? What are the marks of a true Christian? How do you know what a true Christian is like? It's this that I want to cover with you this morning from verse number 17. I want to show you this morning that the Apostle Paul points out that there are three clear marks of a person who claims to be a Christian. Now, I don't want you this morning to, to just ignore this passage because we're dealing with what's a true Christian. You said, no, they're saying, well, I'm already a true Christian. I think that is your approach. Uh, you need to be very, very careful because the Apostle Paul is going to explain to these believers what a true Christian is. I want every single one of us, by the time we leave here this morning, that we're able to define what is a true, genuine, authentic Christian? And I want to show you how Paul defines it in this verse of Scripture. I want to point out that there are three things that defines a person as a Christian. Number one, the first thing about a person who claims to be a Christian is that there must be some significant change in your life. You know how I know that Paul says that? Look at verse number 17. God be thanked that ye, what? Were the servants of sin. Something changed to transform you so that you are no longer the servant of sin. So the first thing about being a Christian is that there must be some significant change in your life. And I want to say to anybody here this morning... If you have not seen any significant change in your life, you simply are not a Christian. I'm, I make no bones about that. See? The second thing I want to show you this morning from this passage is that significant change that has taken place in your life is a result of the supernatural work of God in your life. And there are two things that Paul says in this passage that shows this to be so. Number one, he said, I thank God that ye were. See, he credits God for bringing about that change. But secondly, Paul says, uh, you obeyed that which was delivered to you. But in the Greek language, that's a mistranslation. It's the passive voice. What Paul says in that passage is that you were delivered over to this doctrine. Something delivered you over passively. Something acted on your life that delivered you over to this doctrine. Something caused you to believe this doctrine. The supernatural is here in this particular passage. And then thirdly, 
I will show that the true Christian is marked by what I call submissive obedience. You have obeyed from the heart. Not reluctantly. You've done it from the heart. I know there are many other ways you can define Christianity. And you can define what a Christian is. But I want to say to you that these are three cardinal marks that should be characteristic of every person who claims to be a Christian. So let me deal with these three things uh, this morning. First of all, notice in verse 17, his words. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, he says, but ye have obeyed. Something happened there. And what Paul is emphasizing here is a significant mark of change is what defines a believer. These Roman citizens and these Roman believers had undergone some great change. Some radical transformation had taken place in their life and there was this transformative change that people could observe. The Apostle Paul is now saying that this servitude of sin is something that now belongs to the past. You were. see, Not that you are. You were. Something happened to change that. You have undergone a radical change. Something is different about you. In other words, they're not the same people they used to be. They are now new persons in Christ. Let me put it another way. There were once the craven, fawning, pathetic imps of Satan and sin. There were once the helpless, servile sycophants of a, a greater power that controlled their lives. They were once mastered by sin. They were once driven to live a life of sin. But now something has changed. See? You're no longer like that. You were like that. But you have now obeyed. See? Do you remember what it was like when you were a servant of sin? Think about that for just a moment. Think of the things that you have done right now that you can't even believe you actually did it. You are so embarrassed that when you see certain people, because the things you've done with those people, you try to avoid them. You just can't, you can't believe you were so stupid. Shame is what you witness to yourself. Think of the places that you went and you've gone. How you misled mommy and misled daddy. How you misled your parents. How you misled your teen, teen words. Think about that. Here you are on the beach and you intend to do something evil and you misled the whole group. Oh, I'm going home early. But you back around and you come around. Think of the things that you, you, you were, and you know, you look back, how in the world could I have ever done this? Because the biblical teaching is this. You have a depraved nature in you and it is so twisted, it inclines you towards evil and you have no means of preventing that eventuality. You are a slave to sin. Let me ask you, you ever sat down and think of some of the thoughts you've had? 
when you were under the dominion of sin, the things you imagine, the only reason why you didn't do it is because the opportunity wasn't there. But the, the things you imagine in your mind, were we to placard them on a movie screen today and show people what your mind is like, a filthy cesspool. That's what you used to be. That's not what you are now. If you're still are like that, something is wrong. The Apostle Paul says you were. In other words, there's a significant change made in your life. Do you ever regret some things you've said? Maybe to your mom or your dad or maybe to a friend. You ever wish that you can take back words and never hear those words again? Those horrible explicits that you've used. You've forgotten that's what you used to be. You know, there's some people who can't say two sentences except they punctuate with a four-letter word. Even to watch a decent picture today. Now, I am a, I am a person. I don't have time for this, this imaginary thing like uh, Avatar, a fanciful world. I don't have, I have things for reality. I like to see a good detective. I like to see a good war picture. I like to see there's some, some evil guy that the good guy is going after. I like that, I must tell you. I'm fascinated by that. I like, the, I like when there's a good... But you know what? You can't even watch those today. Because every word is a four-letter word. And here you are, you know, you were like that. I'm not against entertainment. No, let me say that. Man is a, a, a being that, that, that has emotional needs. But the, the, the junk you have now and all these cuss words and every almost every, you almost got to mute everything if you want to watch it without, without words. Now you know what I'm talking about. But you might have forgotten that you were somewhat like that before you got saved. Now you look back at that in disgust. The Apostle Paul is saying, I thank God that you were. See, something, a Christian is a person where a radical change has taken place. And may I tell you this, there are things today that haunt your mind that you wish you had never ever thought or done or even conceived. Here you are in prayer. <laughs> that evil, most evil thing you did just flashed behind your mind. You ever had that? Oh, we've all had that. See? But now there's something in you that is repulsed. You don't, you don't visualize that now and enjoy it like you used to. You are offended that that has come into your mind. Why? Something has happened. Something has changed. Something substantial has taken place in your life. What well, the Apostle Paul is pointing out in, in uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 that a radical change has taken place in your personality or your character and your conduct. Let me show you that for just a moment. Every single aspect of a man's personality is affected when he comes to Jesus Christ. You are renovated in every area of your life. Now, I didn't say a perfect renovation. I said substantial change because there's no such thing as perfection down here. But we're moving towards perfection. That's the glory of the Christian faith. It gives you something to aim at. You know you'll only achieve it finally when we are transformed. But we're aiming at, it's like telling a child, try to get 100. 
But what I'm saying this morning is that your whole personality changes. Your whole character changes. Your whole conduct changes. Let me show you how Paul points out that their Christianity, their, the fact that they were saved, affected the entire personality. Now, everybody in here knows that your personality is made up of how many parts? Three parts. Okay. There's your intellect. There's your emotion. And there's what? Your will. Any being that has emotions, will, and intellect. You have a person. Now let me show you that Paul points out that this change was effect, affected every part of them. Look at what he says. He says, number one, you have obeyed from the heart. That's the will. See? You, you obey because you exercise your will. Christianity affects your will. It enables you to obey God. It doesn't save your soul and save your emotions. It saves and it helps your intellect as well. It affects your intellect. It affects your whole personality. It enables you to obey. Secondly, notice Paul said you obey from what? The heart. That's your emotions. Christianity is not something that is dry. It affects your intellect, but it affects your emotions as well. You obey from the heart, Paul is saying. You weren't forced, as it were. You delighted. It was some, that's what God does. He makes you willing to do his will. Your emotions are impacted. Not only, and then he says these words, that form of doctrine which you were delivered, you obey. Here is your intellect now. See, The doctrine appeals to your intellect. Having grasped that truth, it now affects your emotions. And now your intellect and emotion affects your will. So you act as God intended it to be. See? The whole personality. And this is what Paul is trying to point out. A person is a Christian who has experienced significant change. You were, such were some of you, Paul said. You were once the servant of sin. But something happened. Your mind was influenced. Your emotions were influenced. And your will was influenced. So that's how you became a Christian. Change. Change. Radical change. Character change. But it doesn't end there, by the way. Because the Apostle Paul goes even further and even deeper. Beyond the intellect. Beyond the will. Beyond the emotions. And Paul says not only that. There was a radical change in your conduct. How we know that? God be thanked that ye were, ye were the servants of sin. That was your conduct. That is how you behave. But now that you are saved... Even that, but no, you're something, somebody different. See? So not just the character, the conduct. See? Now we can't see the character change, but we can see the conduct change. And the fact that the conduct has changed is indicated that the character has changed. But don't ever miss the point that the, the conduct has changed because the character is transformed. If it were not so, there'd be no change in the conduct because it's character that directs conduct. 
And so the Apostle Paul is here telling us that the mind is affected by your Christianity or affections are touched by your Christianity our wills are influenced by our Christianity, but even further than that, our conduct is changed by our Christianity. I want to ask you a question here this morning. Have you had a transformed life? Have you changed? Do your friends ask, what happened to she? I mean, I, something happened to her. She's just not the same person she used to be. What happened to him? He, he just seemed to want to withdraw himself. He used to listen to all the dirty jokes that we would tell him, and we would tell him what happens Saturday and so on and so on. Man, he was gone. But now he is avoiding that. What happened to him? What happened to her? There's only one answer, change, change. The Apostle Paul is saying to these believers, this is what a Christian is. You are this way, and this is evidence that you have an authentic relationship with God and you have been transformed. See, This is what you were. You know, the best interpretation of this passage and I really think it's one that perhaps we should just turn to where Paul is talking about such. He's saying that you were this way. The best interpretation of that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 to 11. Just look there for just a moment. Now remember his verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Past tense. Now turn to Corinthians chapter 6 and see what Paul how Paul illustrates that. And I think this is the best commentary of using the past tense in terms of a believer. He said in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. None that practice these things will inherit the kingdom of God. He says this. And such what were some of you. You used to be like this. But that's no longer you anymore. What an amazing statement. In other words, your past sinful habitual life is a thing of the past. It's not a thing of the present. By the way, I think this great passage in Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 to 11 is the biblical answer to all the moral confusion that we have today on a lot of issues. For example, today we have a problem with transgender, don't we? That a man could believe that he's a woman. And uh, he is able to go through some surgical method where... He becomes a woman. Now they're even talking about implanting a wound in him so he can bear a child. You think about that just a moment. That confusion. But look what Paul said. Go back to Corinthians chapter 6. It says in this particular verse, 
Don't be deceived, for neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, nor, nor effeminate. That's what the, that's the transgender man. That's the man who thinks he's a woman. The Bible says he ain't getting to heaven. He ain't getting to God's kingdom. See? So when you hear this nonsense about the guy who was born this way, he wasn't born this way. He is a sinner. See? That's his habit. That's a learned behavior. You see, when he was a boy, what happened is that he liked dressing in mommy's high heel shoes. He liked putting on his sister's dress. And mommy thought it was so cute. Wow, you look so sweet. And when his hair is supposed to be cut, she always wanted a girl. So he makes his hair like a boy. So she plaits his hair and so on and so forth. She feminizes him. So as a result, now he doesn't want to say that's what happened. But because he's been feminized for so long, as he grows a little bit older, she realized he has these feminine acts. But she always wanted a girl. So rather than call him Bobby, she called him Joy. Come here, Joy. See, she has feminized him. See? He isn't born that way. We see all the moral confusion. We, this is the verse that says to you that a person becomes a Christian, he changes. He is no longer feminine. Suppose he was brought up that way and nurtured that way. The moment he comes to Christ, he realizes what a true man is. Now he wants to change. And by the way, you've got to work with these people. You really got to work with them. The point I'm making here is that here's the best illustration of when Paul says, you were once the slaves of sin. That's who you are. Now Paul says, and such were some of you. So that's the transgender. If you go into this verse now, it also abuses of himself with mankind. You know who that is? That's the male homosexual. Bajan's got a name for that. It's not very pleasant either. It's close to being a bulldog. <laughs> Here's an answer again to this whole question. What I'm saying to you, if people really want answers, the answers are in the Bible. The problem is it's not the kind of answers that they want. They want you to confirm that who they say they are, they really are. But God knows better than them because God himself made them and he knows what a man's supposed to be. This is the manual that explains what we should be. So you've got not only the, the transgender, effeminate type of a person who thinks that he is male, but he has a female body, he's trapped in a female body. No, he needs to get saved. And by the way, we'll talk about what is the means of dealing with this problem. And I will show you that the bogus answer to these problems is where, where the problem remains. It can't be solved that way. But then you've got the male homosexual. And today, by the way, they tell you that in places like California, you as a pastor can't counsel a guy who comes to you and says, Pastor, I'm a transgender, and I know I'm not supposed to be a, a female, but I want to, I want to return back to a male. You know you can't, you can't counsel him to do that? Do you know that? You'll be charged. A homosexual who comes to you and says, Pastor, I finally seen the light. I'm finally seeing that God made a man, a woman for a man, not a man for a man. I've seen that light. Finally, I see it. I want to change. I can't counsel him how to change. I will be charged. Because that is his sexual orientation. That's how he was born. That's the idiocy that we have today. 
But this text not only deals with the transgender and the homosexual, it deals with the whole question of crime. It talks about thieves. It tells you that they're not born that way. Their environment is not responsible for them being that way. Their genetics is not responsible for them being that way. What has happened? They have a sin nature that needs to be conquered through the power of Christ. Then it goes on to talk about (laughs) the covetous person. That's the material person. You know, there are some people that all they can see is the queen's head. Every day they walk, all they can see is the, the, the queen's head. I mean, the, 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 the EC dollar or the U.S. dollar. When they're sleeping, all they dream about is money. When they're lying down, it is money. When they're driving, it is money. No matter where it is money, they're so materialistic that their whole life is crowded by this concept. But yet the Bible says the covetous man too can be changed from the gospel. Then, of course, we talk about drugs. Where do you see drugs in their past? Well, what is alcohol? What is alcohol? Paul said not even a drunkard is going to make it to heaven. The man who is a habitual drunkard is not saved. That's what Paul is saying. See? Paul is not saying a man who is a drunkard cannot get to heaven. He's saying that he gets saved and is transformed. But a man who is a drunkard and remains a drunkard, that man is not saved. He's not changed. Such were, not such as you are, such were. Transformation. Now the reason why I say that is the anti to drugs because alcohol is one form of drug that got people addicted. But what about marijuana? What about that? A mind-altering drug, a hallucinogenic, has now become legal in Antigua. Something that destroys the mind, make young people impotent, Give them a high, yes, but only a temporary high. And how it transforms how a person looks, by the way. You ever, you ever met a person that was such a decent, come from a, maybe a nice home and seemed to have everything done, dressed properly, hair well-groomed and so on, and then you meet him five years later and you can't believe he's the same man. That's what marijuana does to you. But here it is. If a man is a marijuana addict, a man is, a, is, a, is an alcoholic, it doesn't matter. When he comes to Christ, he's changed. Such were. Such were some of you. What I'm saying to you, whether we are prepared to face it or not, this is what true Christianity is. We've made it something else, but this is what it is. A true Christian, a person who has experienced significant change, transformational change. And by the way, we can also go to here to talk about the problem with the home and um, what we call extramarital affairs, adultery. See? Yeah. PM asked the uh, brother Jonas, uh, he realizes the problem in Antigua's the home. Uh, how do we deal with the home? How, tell me how, how, the, how we can fix the home. Do you, do you know the best way to fix the home? It's for the mom and dad to get saved. That's how you fix your home. And of course, you have to disciple them. But the important thing is the change that takes place when that person and that family get saved. And then what about this whole craziness about premarital sex? 
today it, it is handled so recklessly as though it's no important. You know, so, so what? You know, everybody doing it. Not everybody's not doing it. I repeat, not everybody's doing it. But listen, the only way to curtail this whole matter, again, is for a person to get saved. You know, I say this from the pulpit and it's worth repeating ever so once in a while. I think you forgive me because I'm getting old. You know, I got saved when I was 16 or 17. I don't remember the exact age. It was between 16 and 17. And I am telling you here, and I've said this often to the pulpit, you want to see a rascal? You're looking at a rascal here. The only thing that stopped me from rascalizing is that I didn't have the opportunity to do certain things. But man, I thought of them. And if God had not arrested me one Sunday night, he had not apprehended me one Sunday night, I am telling you right here that David Murphy would not be any different than you see the guy on the street. Would not be any, perhaps a little bit worse. Perhaps a little bit worse. But you know what happened to me? When I got saved that moment, I can remember it. Look, you know, some people don't, I, I don't, you know. When I got saved, I, I got saved in my bedroom. I didn't get saved in the church. I came and I heard the message. And uh, when I heard the message, I, I was, I'd made about two or three decisions before. But this time, this time, there was no doubt at all that God had really shaken me and really get me to understand what this thing is all about. And I remember the message. I can remember the, even the, the guy's name. His name was Reverend Cupid. He was a Vincentian. Not even a Barbadian. He was a Vincentian. And not only that, he moved to the States. I can still remember the message he preached. I'm 67 now. Still, it was real, brother. When I tell you, I mean, it was real. And I remember when I went home and I got on my knees on my bed and I, I, I began to talk to God. I said, God, you know what? If what this guy is preaching is true, I ain't seen a change in my life. I'm just the same old David. Oh, I'm pretending to be somebody else, but I'm not. I haven't changed. Just the same old person. But I said, God, I, I really need a change. And I got on my knees that night in my bedroom and I told God, I want you to save me tonight. And if you save me tonight, transform me, I will serve you the balance of my life. 16 or 17. I'm now 67. And I can still remember what happened that night. I was never the same person again. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us two more marks of a true Christian. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.